I'd like to turn with the Lord's help this morning to the second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 1. Second Corinthians, chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. 
For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us, and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. I've read the entire chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. God of all comfort. Lord, we come to you in a broken world full of pain and suffering of various degrees. Lord, there are many who suffer far more than we, and our hearts go out to them. We pray that you, the God of all comfort, could come alongside and encourage and strengthen and walk with them even in the shadow of death. They would fear no evil, for you are with them. Father, we know that is in hope that you have allowed this suffering, that indeed we might not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises from the dead. Father, we have indeed not enough suffering. There are too many pleasures and distractions that keep us from dying to ourselves and living completely for you. And Lord, we know it is to spare us that you have not yet split the skies and come to visit us. Father, we want to take this time this morning to open our hearts to hear what your living word would speak to us that we indeed could lift up our heads and to say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for your ministration to those who cannot be here, those who refuse to be here, who are not beyond the reach of your spirit. And Lord, even those who are here, but not listening with their whole hearts. Lord, we pray that you would even enter those locked doors and lay bare the thoughts and intents of our heart. We pray for your unfettered working, though through the vessels of clay, that your spirit could work in our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question as I read this passage, and I, I think that's where the Lord would like us to start. It seems after the standard greeting, those first few verses that are, you read in all the epistles that Paul writes, identifies himself, identifies the recipients of the letter, 
gives them a benediction of grace and peace, that he goes into a topic that I didn't immediately see why. And that is the topic of comfort, as the brother has already prayed. Why would the, the apostle speak on this subject, begin the letter with this subject, with a number of verses of meditating upon it, to a church like Corinth? For one thing, I think Paul's immediate experience prior to writing this letter had informed some of that topic. The topic of comfort was very much on his mind. We read a few verses down here, verse 8, 9, 10. Paul had gone through some trial, some great trial, not specified exactly. We have some guesses of what it may be in Asia. He was, that's where Ephesus is, the church at Ephesus. He'd spent some years there laboring there. There was a strong opposition. Not sure what it was, but it was a great trial. The way he describes it here, we were pressed out of measure, above strength, above our strength. We just felt, I, we can't, there's no way we can deal with this. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. He thought, this is the end. This is going to be the end of the road here. I don't see the way out of this. I feel like I have the sentence of death on me. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. And through this experience, whatever it was, Paul experienced an abundant measure, a superabundant measure of God's comfort. The beautiful thing, and I think this is the, the nature of God's comfort, the comfort he provides, is that it didn't stop with him. He used this experience now to pour out to the church at Corinth because I think he still had some ongoing need of comfort for that church. We know some of the history there. If you read the first epistle, it was not an easy church for him. There was a lot of burdens. There was some back and forth. Um, number of letters, not just the ones we record here written, a number of pressing issues, a number of people there that opposed him, that, that um, uh, Threw some shade, as it were, on his apostolic credentials. He's not like us. He's not flashy like us. He can't do these things or that. And cast aspersions on his motives, as we read later in this chapter, that he was maybe fickle. He changed his mind about going there. And Paul was in need of comfort as he dealt with them. He, this theme comes back in the letter. And, and Paul, uh, chapter 7 as he's begging them to receive us and, 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 and welcome us, you know, there's, there's resistance there to my apostolic authority, to the work that I would want to do there, that the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. There's resistance. You're going a certain way that you ought not. Um, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glory, glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Um, I think this type of comfort is... The comfort when it comes to other people, the challenges and difficulty of not seeing what God is doing, the frustrations of dealing with people that are um, not following the Lord's will and giving you a hard time about it. I think that, chapter 11, where he gives this litany of the things that he experienced, all the sufferings, beaten with rods, stoned, etc., all these sufferings, things that you think, like, 
If it comes to dealing with difficult people, I would choose dealing with difficult people rather than going through the experience of being beaten with rods, being stoned and left for dead by the crowd. But the way he ends this touches my heart. Every time I read it, he gives this whole litany of the things I went through, weariness, painfulness, fastings, cold, nakedness, and then the last thing he says, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I don't think until um, we've been in that sort of situation, and I think he most preeminently, of the care, the concern for the salvation of people, that we really, really need God's comfort. That strengthening in the inner man. And I think that's why he goes to this topic as he writes this second letter, as he opens this second letter to the church at Corinth and deals with more difficult topics he turns immediately to the God of all comfort. What is this comfort? Brother Edmund mentioned it in his prayer. The word here is paraklesis, I think it is. The God of all comfort. And we know that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the paraclete. The idea and that Greek word is someone who comes alongside and strengthens. Someone who comes in your situation and helps. This word comforteth, perakleo, I think it is, or related to the comfort word, it is even more explicitly, it, it, it means to, to, uh, to call to, 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 to call to proximity, to, to come to, towards. And I have to think, this is the kind of strength, the kind of comfort that God imparts to those who need him, the comfort that comes by proximity, by closeness. This is not a soothing sort of, um, everything's going to be all right, so like some sort of drug that just dulls the pain and, and makes everything, you know, we, we want some sort of narcotic to make things temporarily uh, better. As we take those things, we know that they're just temporary things. They're just... They don't really solve the problem. They just help us to get through. This kind of comfort is a strengthening comfort. It's, a, it's a, um, an empowering comfort. I notice just in these first few verses here, how many times God our Father, even the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies, the word Father is mentioned. And as parents, we start to understand some more about this the nature of this comfort that ultimately comes from God. And I think if I were to just to, you know, if my children come to me in tears, if I were just to um, give them some, some bromide, some, some coddling, I'm just going to hold you for a little bit and, and it'll all be better, that often doesn't solve the problem. It's after the tears subside that we talk about why, are, you know, what, why, why did this happen? How did it happen? And, and we try to address the root issue. That's the, the, the godly comfort. As he looks at the nature of our hearts, not just, um, I'm just going to make the pain go away. I certainly pick up my children when they're crying. I certainly hug them and give them a, a warm embrace. I don't, uh, let's talk about your problems now. Certainly not at this age. Um, but as we do that, I realize that that is the nature of God's comfort ultimately too. It is the best comfort is the comfort of feeling loved. 
is to know that I am loved. That's the best comfort I can give my kids. I, I can't obviously all the time solve the problem or take away the bee sting or whatever it was. I can let them know they're loved. And this is the nature of God's comfort towards us, the riches that he has given us. And this comfort, this godly comfort, the real comfort, is inextricably linked to suffering. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, our trouble, our sufferings. You know, suffering in and of itself is not, um, there's nothing intrinsically good of it. You know, people go through horrible things and it doesn't necessarily draw them near to God. But it is the choice in the suffering, whatever the nature of the suffering is, whether we are going to turn to God, whether we're going to re rely on him, that makes that suffering work for good or not. Makes it a means um, of molding us, of shaping us, and ultimately a means by which God's comfort is supplied. That's the choice. And I think Paul had that choice, that sentence of death upon him, where he was pressed out of measure. He had that choice. We have that choice in every trial and every tribulation too. Are we just going to simply wish, wish, wish the suffering to be gone, wish it all to go away, I wish God would take this away, would stop the pain, make it easier for me, or am I going to turn to him and rely upon him as the supply, as the, the one who is using this for my good and for his glory? Whatever the situation may be. And that's, that's how I, I see all the things that we go through as being an opportunity to suffer in a Christian manner and to align with the sufferings of Christ, whether it's physical illness, whether it's financial hardships, whether it's mental illness, whether it's uh, difficulties with other people. Each one of these things, you think, well, what is, how does this relate to the sufferings of Christ? It's as I choose to suffer those things and rely on God in a Christian manner, as Christ does, that these promises come true. I think as we become more conformable to Christ, sufferings will come that would not come otherwise if we hadn't identified with Christ. Those, those particular sufferings, the sufferings of persecution, the sufferings of, of, of being mocked for his name, or, or um, those will come. But I think the common sufferings of life, the, the, the common sufferings that other people that don't believe in God also suffer, starting from those places, as we take those things, as from a father's hand, the godly comfort comes. It operates. I just love how Paul takes this suffering that he is experiencing and looks beyond himself. And he says, no, no, I see the bigger purpose in this, what I've just experienced here. It's to turn for your, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the same comfort, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. As I've experienced this, as I've experienced God's supply in my soul through this difficulty, whatever it may be, God always wants to move me beyond myself to other people to supplying that comfort, the comfort that comes from God, but using me to supply that comfort to them. Am I looking beyond myself in my current situation?
Could that be a big portion of the reason that uh, things are um, bleaker to me than, than, than they otherwise might be? Why I'm having more of a burden? Why things are, are, are dragging me down more? Is it because the focus is just on myself? Paul demonstrates the superabundant life. It's the, it's the life that, that is not about me, that's not focused on me. That will take even the thing that I went through that maybe would have been highly personal. I, I don't know what it was that he suffered. Maybe it was some sort of physical illness or incapacity. Other places, it seems to imply that he did go through that, uh, uh, some sort of physical ailment. But he took that highly personal thing that maybe he could have just kept to himself or said, well, it's time for me to retire from this ministry. Obviously, God has closed this chapter in my life. I'll go back to Tarsus or wherever and live a quiet life. He took that personal highly personal experience and used it to open a letter to the church in Corinth. Marvelous how the grace of God works. And he calls them to the same type of suffering. As you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. As as. Brother Edmund also alluded to in his prayer, that experience turning us to God, the God who raises the dead, the God who does deliver. And then verse 11, and brother and sister, I had to think, this is a challenge to us. Let's read this verse together. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift, what, what is the gift? I think it's the gift of prayer. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, many people praying together, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Paul is asking for prayer, saying you're helping us by your prayer. I have to think in our, our prayer meetings, our weekly prayer meetings on Thursday, as the, the list of woes gets longer and longer. You see there's more physical suffering, this, this person has a serious disease, this person, it's, it's surprising, it seems to lengthen and lengthen. Will you help, brother and sister, by your prayers? Are you willing to set aside that time to pray with others, with the many others? Paul sees this as a working, and I have to think, with any sort of thing that is not easy or, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a break from what I'm used to or what I'm, this so often is also God's means of comfort for me. I have to think, if I'm comfortable, if I'm, if I'm satisfied with what I have in this life, the things that are of this life, I cannot receive the comfort of God. I cannot receive the thing that he really wants to supply my soul that will allow me to, to flourish and to grow like, like Paul does in this situation. If I'm, if I'm satisfied with just what I have, if, if life is okay as it is, it's, it's too much to stretch beyond, I will never experience that comfort that I really need, that strengthening in the inner man that Paul prays for in Ephesians 3, that, that we'd be strengthened by his might in the inner man. I will be a weak, weak Christian. If I stay with myself and in my situation, and I, 
That's been, I think, in the thoughts of a number of us lately. That sort of complacency, that sort of worldly comfort, that's just, everything's okay, I'm just gonna let the tide flow. How am I gonna experience more of God and his working unless I step outside of that? Then Paul seems to change the topic here in verse 12. And just after opening that, that, that topic on comfort and, and, and how God supplies the comfort in his suffering and, and my personal experience of suffering, I wanted to tell you of this. And then he seems to same, change the topic in, in, chapter, in verse 12 here and says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, word. And that kind of now makes it a little clear to me. What to you, this is not just a general co- uh, to- uh, statement that Paul just makes out of the blue that we've had a good, conversa- a good uh, testimony and that our manner of life, is, uh, our conscience is clear before God. He wants to say, no, specifically towards you, I have a good conscience. And I think this goes back to that topic of the difficulties in Corinth and the comfort that he is seeking of the Lord, the disappointment that he must have had in these people. He founded this church. He started it. He poured his energies, his, his blood, not sure in this particular in Corinth, but certainly in other churches. He bled for the establishment of these churches. And now to have people that doubt him and allow other people to come in and manipulate them and be more flashy and, 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 and um, that must have been disappointing. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Yet how does Paul encourage himself? How does he receive that comfort of the Lord? I think we need to take some notes of these things. First of all, he realizes that no one else can affect him in terms of his walk with the Lord, in terms of his testimony in terms of him listening to his conscience and, and the way the Lord is leading him. The, the rejection or the misbehavior of other people, I stand before the Lord. No one can, can shake me from that stand. And the way that I've approached you, he even says, simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. That was a problem they had there in Corinth. They really liked the good speakers, the the the... the the guys that, that talked a good talk. And I mean, you read later on in this epistle, he, he really lays into them in the final three chapters of, of this epistle. Just take some time to read. It's almost like he, there's a change of tone in those final three chapters that he needs to, he feels in his heart, he needs to address this. He said, no, I didn't follow that. And by, it was by my conscience and the Holy Spirit speaking to me that we in simplicity and godly wisdom approached you in this way. And that was a source of comfort to him. And he still gives room for doubt. He says, for we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, verse 13, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. I'm thinking the best of you. Despite all the recent stuff that's going on and, and the reports I hear from different people coming back, um, I trust that you're going to read, acknowledge what is the truth 
and I think, you know, this is, this is how God deals with us and it's how we need to deal with other people too. We never can write them off in the sense of um, think that God's grace is not effect, cannot be effective in their lives. It may take some serious unvarnished truth. He tells them here at the end of the chapter, you know, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto. The reason I haven't come this second time or the third time I believe is it's because to give you some room to respond. He lays it out clearly to them. But we look beyond people and to God and what he has done and what he is doing. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. And I think in, in, this is the ultimate comfort that we receive even when we're disappointed with people, when we have difficult situations that we can't make headway with people, is to look beyond those people to God and to see what God has done and can do. You know, I'm so thankful for these, these epistles, this early church. You know, they, they, these believers were on fire for the Lord, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, yet there were very real difficulties, very real challenges, and it's recorded here. And we see how spirit-filled believers respond, and I think, oof, we need that sort of comfort. Not the bromides, not the everything's gonna be okay, not the, the, the pat on the back, that they're there. We need the comfort that comes from God that says, you are able. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You are anointed. You are sealed. There is a mark upon you, and, and a mark of identification, a mark of protection upon you of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of comfort that I need. You are able to do this. You are able to bear it. That is the comfort that comes from God. That's the comfort we need this morning in a comfortable world that, that um, the moment its creature comforts are taken away, just as we see, reacts in, in, in a, such a sad way. This is the God that has given us the earnest, the down payment, the guarantee of the Spirit in our hearts, that there is so much better, better coming, that there is, he's paid a great price for us, the promise is what I have now within me, who I have now within me, that will one day, the full payment will be made when I'm redeemed into courts of glory. This is the God, the beautiful verse here in verse 20, this is the God that in him, all the promises of God in him are yes. In him are amen, so be it. This is a God that his heart is completely open to us. You think that, that, that God may be withholding something from you, that somehow uh, life, you're being cheated out of something in life, that, that there's, a, there's a dissatisfaction with what the Lord has given you. His heart towards you is yes and nothing but yes. He only says yes to what is good, to, the, to, to what is the best for you. Not what you want, not... Um, what you think in this situation will be the easiest thing? I think this passage has prompted some questions that 
all of us as believers need to reflect on. The one question is, am I comfortable in my current circumstances? Do I even need the comfort that comes from God? The second is, am I looking in the situation, the suffering, the trial that I am in, first of all to the comfort that comes from God and then beyond that to other people to effectively be used? Because I think that is part of God's comfort too. Thirdly, am I praying for other people to be part of, to bestow that gift of prayer upon them that we may experience that sort of comfort that comes from answered prayer. As, as, as brothers and sisters testify, the prayers that you prayed that were answered in a, in a way that I couldn't imagine, and God is glorified in that process. Are we partaking in that? Or are we too comfortable? And my friend outside of Christ, we haven't even really talked to you this morning as I think about this topic of godly comfort, I, I, my prayer for you is that you would not experience any sort of comfort until you come to that God who is the source of that comfort. Because anything short of that, anything, um, any sort of position that you think you've attained or, or life goal that you have and, and are working towards, in the end it will be, it'll be dust. Whatever it is, career, family, whatever. So I pray that you do not receive comfort until you come to God, until you stand in this faith, for by faith you stand here at the end of the chapter. I do pray restlessness for you, my friend outside of Christ, and I don't pray that in a mean way or a, a vindictive way, but in the best way, that you would see who can supply who wants to delight your soul? Who wants to fill you in, in a way that, that you do not currently understand? You may think, oh, I, I have a certain understanding of this is what Christian life is. I guarantee you, if you're outside of it, you do not understand it. You do not see it for what it really is, the riches that are in Christ Jesus. May the God of comfort, the one who meets every need in every situation, I, I firmly believe that, who in him all the promises of God are yes, may he supply what's needed to us this morning hour. And, and where we're not resting in him and receiving that comfort from him, that strengthening, may he wake us up. Brother, please find a closing hymn. certainly heard uh, very uh, insightful revealing of God's Word this morning. Showing the contrast between, and the antithesis between being comfortable and being comforted. That you can't have both. You can't have God's comfort if you're still choosing to be comfortable. We, uh, I think one of the more memorable um, messages we heard in camp from Brother Mickey Kuzmanovich 
was about how being comfortable was getting in the way of being revived. That you can't experience God's revival power if you're still taking comfort, even in good things. And he pointed out that you know, even, even our forms of worship, even being here this morning can be comfortable. We can feel a certain set of, you know, uh, I, I'm doing what God wants and, and God might owe me something. And we felt comfort in the fact that we're with people that we know that are, we're comfortable with. But God didn't do that. God didn't do that. God could have stayed comfortable, but he chose different. He chose to leave comfort. He chose to give up his glory. He chose to enter into a world of pain and suffering and and take it on himself, even suffering for my horrible sin as a means for me to experience his comforter within me. The word comfort here in the, and, and of course we have a resident Greek expert to, to keep us straight, but it says parakaleo. It's, as the brother said, it's not talking about just kind of being surrounded by this bubble of, that keeps the, the world apart and having this soothing um, experience. Parakaleo is to be called alongside. And, and why would kaleo, the, the word to call, be a part of comfort? Right? We are being called as we call and invite the Holy Spirit to come alongside, he is inviting us, rather. It, we're not inviting God to enter our comfortable lives and build a white picket fence around our hopes and dreams so that we can live in a, 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 a bubble um, that, that's free from storms. That's not the comfort that God is inviting us to experience. He's inviting us to experience the comfort of him being in the boat, in the storms. We have a choice, a choice to try to, to, to make that bubble strong, to, to build a, a worldly comfort that keeps at bay some of the things we can't control, make that boat stronger as if the wind will never come. This uh, morning, I walked in a little bit in the, our, our, our little garden. And there's this beautiful flower there that uh, I was hoping to cut for my wife. It's, it's the, the, um, the flower she, the, she held in our wedding day. But it was too late. It was already starting to wilt. The heat yesterday caused the... It wasn't gone. All the... the the other petals were gone, but this one, it was starting to crinkle, you know, just kind of like the wrinkles on my face, the receding hairline, all the indications that the beauty is starting to pass. It's past its prime. And soon, along with the other ones that were already letting go tons of petals, soon it would, too, be just a bare stalk. And the Word of God tells us that that's, that's, that's what we're holding on to. 
The glory of man is just like the flower of the field. You can glue, super glue those petals on, but they'll just wither and become dark and dead. They won't stay. And so, my dear friend, you've got a choice, you know, holding on to the glory of this world that you cannot keep. That it's, it's madness, it's, it's delusional to think that you can hold on by strength to your beauty, your strength, your, your money, your, all the assets you have accumulated as a defense to keep yourself comfortable. That's a delusion. But God has called you into an alternative way to be comfortable, to actually have him with you in the valley, the shadow of death, where you know that your experience of his presence, of being under his control that you trust implicitly is going to defend you and even those very wind and waves are going to accomplish his purpose in your life. And you will be called to be with him for eternity. There's a permanence to that comfort. But it requires us letting go of our bubble. Our, the, the olive had to be crushed in Gethsemane to let go of that life-giving flow to, to have the it could not be fruitful. Jesus said that corn has to die, that shell has to decay for the life to spring forth for it. We need to let go of comfort if we're going to experience the power of his resurrection. Someone just asked me yesterday, our church needs revival. What's it going to take for us to experience revival? I think the Lord has spoken to us this morning the answer to that question. May he work in each one of our hearts. This concludes this morning's service.